Here we go. we got 60 minutes. Let's make the most of it. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Know the difference. It's one team, one plan, one fee. Have representatives of every one of our departments today on the show. Investment, retirement, tax planning, estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. On the way, HSAs can be powerful tools as an investment and retirement plan. Find out how. Ask Annex. Going to look at SSI and COLA increases, tax loss harvesting. And somebody asks, what are funds of funds? And then financial planning when a couple has a large gap in ages. That's all on the way. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Danny. Hey, Dave Spano, president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Have you fueled up your vehicle? lately yeah yeah down right down seven percent yeah right. well you got a small car but yes seven uh, percent is what fuel fuel prices were down in july and that kind of lent into the cpi report that we got this week when it appears that cpi may be cooling off right and it's important to distinguish between year over year and month to month increases on a year over year basis the cpi is still up eight and a half percent but on a month to month basis it was actually lower and that's important because the president cited that when he said that there's no inflation out there that's not technically accurate but both the ppi and the cpi hard data confirmed that inflation may very well have peaked yeah and if it did peak we're going to find out for sure in the next couple of months because we have as you said month over month but we have year over year comparisons that are going to roll off in the next 60 and 90 days that's right and that's and that's a key key point because even though the cpi and ppi are moderating prices are still significantly above where they were a year ago in fact if the cpi were flat from now through year end the cpi would be up five percent year on year yeah and the reason why that's important because it leads into the federal reserve and their actions and of course they look at data uh, partly. And one of the things that they're going to look at is, is it starting to moderate and how much should the Fed funds rate continue to go up? Because it certainly goes into the pricing models of real estate stocks and everything else. You know, one factoid that I learned this week pertaining to that was historically, the Fed has never stopped hiking the Fed funds rate until the Fed funds rate was above the CPI. And currently the Fed funds rate is 2.5% and the CPI is 8.5%. So but, but let me just gap. jump in because those those two things can moderate. So let's assume that the CPI rate comes down as they're raising it. They might get to a parity sooner rather than later. Oh, certainly. The, directionally, that's true. Um, I think what we've seen also with the with the fourth four weeks in a row of stock market gains is people are starting to believe that the Fed's hiking policy is, is close to finished or fairly close to finishing. But the other thing that's going on, too, is that balance sheet is going to start to be reduced, which can affect the liquidity. The Federal Reserve's balance sheet. Right. They're, through quantitative tightening. And as someone said on the television on Friday, which made a lot of sense to me, you know, if quantitative easing was good for the stock market, why is quantitative tightening not bad for it? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so quantitative tightening is upon us, and they're going to start letting some of these bonds roll off, which is taking more liquidity out of the market. And so that that is interesting because we have seen, as you said, a significant rally. Small cap stocks up now 20%. You could argue that they are now in a new bull market, and the S&P 500 up about 15% and not far behind. Right. We've had a tremendous rally since the middle of June. We talked about positioning being extraordinarily conservative on the part of institutional investors with the, the lowest asset allocation to equity since the great financial crisis and a, and a lot of cash. So there is some sense of fear of missing out right now because the markets, you know, after a tremendous July, have continued to follow through in August. And so we start to 
to look at those portfolios, folks, and say, you know, where should you be overweighted? And there's a lot of new news that have come out. You know, let's sans the Mar-a-Lago debate. But the CHIPS Act, of course, was signed, and that means more money going to semiconductors. There is a, there is a move to onshore more and more, um, if you will, uh, national security-related industries that are important, whether it's pharmaceutical agreements, semiconductors, and the like. I mean, $50 billion is not really a, a lot of money, but, but it is a directional shift that is certainly a positive for the semiconductor company because right now only 10% of the semiconductors U.S. companies consume are manufactured in the United States. And so what we want to do, folks, is go through your portfolio and make sure that you are aligned correctly in the right spots so know what you own, why you own it, and how much you're paying for it. Here's how it starts. You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. You click the Get Started button. That just starts contact between us and you. At some point, we're going to have that portfolio review, and that's really where our financial planning team goes through with a fine-tooth comb. They look for the overlap. They look for things that maybe aren't performing as they should. And then in your meeting, your sit-down, at least your first one with them, we talk about that, and we see where you can go from there. And we think that as you're sitting across the table from Annex Wealth Management, you're going to get the feel. You've heard lots of our teammates on this show over the years. If it's a match, we move forward, and we move forward a lot, and we'd like to move forward with you. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Back in a bit. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. We're back. First thing I'm going to remind you, this show is available on demand at the top of the hour on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel. we got a lot of things going. You can sign up for the Axiom on our website. That's our free weekly newsletter that shows up on Sundays. Don't have to be a client for that. Connect with us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, very good. Over 1,500 videos that we did. Great learning. And then check out our brand new SWAT podcast, members of the Annex Wealth Management investment team. It is fresh every single Monday morning. Really good and pretty short. You can catch it on a commute. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Thanks, Danny. You know, everyone knows who listens to the show that every quarter we have what's called earnings season, and that's when the publicly traded companies have to release their earnings, and we're making our way through it pretty well, but you gave me a pretty funny line this week that said, it's better than feared. And I think that's the way we have to characterize it. I mean, going into it, you know, we talked about two negative quarters of real GDP, so the, the logical presumption would be if real GDP is negative, companies might not be doing so well, and perhaps their guidance will be negative. But with 90% of the S&P 500 having reported, uh, they're beating estimates by a median of 7% on the earnings line and a median of 5% on the sales line. So so a decent quarter. I mean, we have heard you know some negative guidance. For example, on Friday, Best Buy announced that they're going to be cutting back on, on store employees as a sign of the shift in consumer spending patterns. But generally speaking, earnings have been good. And uh, you know the, we are starting to make progress against inflation. And the Ukraine-Russia situation seems to have stabilize at some level for now. You nailed it where I wanted to go on employment, and it's just not them. I mean, we saw so many companies from Netflix and Tesla and and Ford uh, all talking about reducing uh, employment, and that is really something that you have to pay attention to as the last two quarters of GDP were negative. Right. The other thing, too, is um, you know the job opening survey, we saw a 600,000 decline. That's the first time I can recall a decline of that magnitude for, for quite a long period of time. And you have mentioned the idea of purple squirrels, you know, right. look 
looking for the perfect employee really doesn't exist. So potentially that number is inflated. But that is certainly something that Powell is trying to do. He's trying to reduce the willingness of employers to continue hiring and in the hopes that perhaps wage growth starts to stabilize at a at a perhaps a more moderate level than it is currently. And if you're an employer, uh, you you may want to hear that. But if you're an employee and listening to the show, you may not want to hear that. But that is something that the Fed is looking for: is to slow down wage gains, even though the wages are going up. They haven't kept up with inflation. That's why you see some of the politicians' approval rating down so much. But that is something we have to continue to monitor. The other thing too is you know we did have those two great inflation reports uh, this past week, but most of it was due primarily to the fall in the price of oil and gasoline. And we both know oil prices are very volatile. They can rally, they, they go up, they go down. And a lot of that will depend on geopolitics, which is hard for us to predict. But the other thing is that has affected consumer confidence in a positive way. We right. talked about record low consumer confidence and how often that was coincident with stock market bottoms. Well, consumer confidence is actually starting to improve a little bit. And my guess is that with August off to a good start for the price of gasoline, they'll, you'll see more tempering of inflationary expectations next month. And that is that continues. I did say a Goldman Sachs report that said they expected 4 to $5 gas to come back yet this year, which of course is something that is concerning. That is a guess, and that really is dependent upon what happens with Russia. Right. And the other thing, you know, food at home costs continue to skyrocket. Food prices were up 14% year over year, and that's obviously very important. And when you think about higher mortgage rates, higher food prices, and higher than last year gasoline prices, that's a lot of stress on consumers, and it certainly affects their spending patterns. But so far, you know, they, you know, we the last recession was the first recession ever in which personal income actually went up. Well, hold on, but now you have to argue that uh, we were in a recession. And of course, as you and I uh, kidded about, they changed the definition on Wikipedia of what a recession is, but it was widely accepted two back-to-back uh, quarters of negative GDP. But you know, there are some economists and the big Wall Street firms who are saying, well, if that was a recession, it was the shallowest recession we've had. Well, and even during the pandemic, which is really what I was alluding to, personal income went up because the federal government gave away a lot of money. The Fed came to the rescue of the financial markets and people built up savings that they couldn't spend for a long period of time. Recently, though, we have seen credit card uh, debt going up. So perhaps they've exhausted those savings. And we still have that issue about whether people want to go to work and the work shortage out there. And folks, if you've just been kind of sitting still and not doing anything because you've been a little paralyzed, we understand that. But now is the time to do something. It's to get up, head to that computer, head to your smartphone, whatever you need to do. Go to our website, AnnexWealth.com. You click that Get Started button. You start the process called Wealth Metric. You might want to know how you're doing and what are you missing. We can help with that as a fee-only fiduciary. The website, AnnexWealth.com. Click on that Get Started button. Back in a bit, there is more to come. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? We're going to cover healthcare savings accounts and why they're pretty darn awesome for those who can use them. And to do that, joined by Brandon Arps, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Danny. A couple years ago, there were more than 30 million HSAs holding about 82.2 billion dollars. Now, the key is you're eligible to have contributions made to an HSA when your medical insurance is a high deductible plan that's HSA eligible. So, not all high deductible plans are HSA eligible. Got to check with your insurer employer to be sure yours qualifies, but they are powerful and they're popular for a reason, right, Brandon? 
Yeah, I would say that the HSA is one of, if not the best tax shelter that exists today. And if utilized in a comprehensive financial plan correctly, they could help facilitate a pre-Medicare age 65 early retirement. Now, in my opinion, the cost of a Medicare insurance bridge, one that's from early retirement to age 65, which can be upwards of ten dollars to $12,000 per person, happens to be the number one preventer of early retirement. HSAs can be utilized to help cover those future costs. So what are the limits? How much can you put in per year? The maximum HSA contribution in 2022 is $3,650 for someone with an individual medical plan and $7,300 for someone with a family plan. There's an additional $1,000 catch-up contribution allowed for those ages 55 and over. Contributions made by an individual to his or her account are deductible from gross income, just like a pre-tax 401k contribution, and contributions made by an employer to the employee's account are excluded from gross income. So you really could pile a lot of money in there, and again, it's to reduce taxable income. That, that's win-win. Absolutely, and another big benefit for some of the high-income earners in the crowd And you can invest these things too, right? Yeah, arguably as important as the deduction, earnings within your HSA are tax-free, which is particularly impactful if you're allowed to invest in a portion of your account. So when it comes to spending that HSA money, you got to pay attention to what you're spending it on. I mean, there's certain limits. Yeah, absolutely. Distributions from the account are tax-free when used to pay for what's important, qualified medical expenses. And a qualified medical expense is defined by the IRS. I would go to publication 502 if you're really interested to see exactly what's covered. But things like Band-Aids, medications, false teeth, if you need some of those, sometimes even a portion of the cost to add a wheelchair ramp or uh, handrails to the house. We've described HSAs as triple tax advantage. That's like the magic of these things. How does that break down? Yeah, the three tax benefits in one vehicle are very unique. And that's why I believe the HSA is one of the best tax shelters that exist today. Unlike 401ks and traditional IRAs, you aren't simply deferring taxes with an HSA. Unlike a Roth IRA, you aren't paying taxes now to avoid taxes later. So instead, Money contributed to an HSA is never taxed as long as distributions pay for those qualified medical expenses. Tax deduction on the way in, tax-free growth, and then tax-free on the way out so long as it's on those qualified expenses. That's triple tax advantage. Yeah, who doesn't like that? We're discussing HSAs with Brandon Arps, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Is there an RMD component? I mean, do you have to spend these things down? No. um, HSAs do not have a required minimum distribution during your lifetime, like an IRA or a 401k, for instance. If you're married and you end up passing away, your spouse can use the benefit just like you did. So you can basically spend it on anything that you have a medical need for. And let's face it, we know we're going to spend money on healthcare during our lifetime, which, by the way, has the new baby, because you know you're going to be spending money on her. <laughs> baby is great. A little fussy. She had some shots the other week, but she's doing great. Yeah, you know, in terms of expenses, most people use their HSA during their working years to pay for medical expenses that aren't covered by insurance, such as the deductibles and the co-payments and the medications. But a better strategy to consider, especially if you're interested in that pre-Medicare retirement, might be to fully fund the HSA during your working years and try to pay current medical expenses out of pocket. Mm. It's a very difficult thing to do. Some costs like uh, giving birth to a child are kind of expensive, but if you can try to do that and shelter the HSA money, let it grow, you can actually use those funds to purchase the healthcare bridge insurance.
One more question, we'll let you go. Which should somebody fund first, a 401k, an IRA, or an HSA? Probably a predictable answer from me, but both, right? So when you're first starting out, you're probably not making that much money. Then you want to still take advantage of the employer match with the 401k, maybe throw a little bit at the HSA. As you progress through your career and your income increases, then you you definitely want to try to max out both the 401k and the HSA. I agree with Tom Parks of our retirement plan services. If it doesn't hurt a little bit, it's probably not enough. Absolutely. Folks, for investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. The website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Brandon Arps, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you very much. Happy to be here, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday the 13th. Time to get caught up. And for that, let's head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Time for Ask Annex. Got a question? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. We get back to everybody, and some of them wind up on the radio. But first, let me introduce everybody. Sarah Kyle is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back to Ask Annex. Hi, Danny. And we got a ringer. Mike Venturini is also a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Hey, hi, Danny. Now, you are here because Mike, who sent the question in, he's a client of Annex Wealth Management, and you work with him. That's right. Here is Mike's question. My question involves SSI and COLA increases. I've heard many explanations about COLA increases for people already collecting SSI payments. My twist is, how do annual COLA SSI increases impact my yet-to-be-claimed future SSI estimates? Will this update my estimated SSI payout when running a report on the SSI website? When would this change be reflected every year? Mike, there is a lot to unpack there. There is. And just to let you know, COLA is cost of living adjustment. That does increase your Social Security benefit by approximately the product of the COLA and the benefit amount. So the exact computation is a little more complex. Each Social Security benefit is based on primary insurance amount, or PIA, you might hear it called FRA, which is the full retirement age benefit. The PIA, in turn, is directly related to the primary beneficiary's earnings through a benefit formula. So that's what you earn throughout your life. It is a PIA that is increased by the COLA. Just to give you an example, if the initial PIA is $2,000 and is increased by 5.9%, which it was this year, the new PIA would be $2,118. So that will be adjusted by early or delayed retirement, which affects your amount, benefit amount. If you choose to retire before your normal retirement age, your benefit will be lower than your PIA. On the other hand, if you choose to retire after you attain your normal retirement age, your benefit will be higher than your PIA. The a factor is applied to the PIA to account for that early or delayed retirement. And as we all know, Medicare premiums are subtracted from that benefit. So it's a really good area to go is the ssa.gov and you can create your own account there and get what your benefit will be at any age. You know, Social Security is humble and lovable, but it can be really complex at times. It can be complex. The website is terrific to go to and learn a little bit more. Right. And this is something we do for clients all the time. Now, Mike sent this question in, but I'm sure you deal with this stuff all the time. Every meeting or closer to retirement, we talk about it every time. That's one of the things that Annex Wealth Management does. Thank you, Mike Venturini. Thank you. Okay, Sarah Kyle, got a bunch for you. And our first one is anonymous. And yeah, by the way, if you don't want us to use your name on the radio, that is fine with us. Here's our first anonymous question. I'm confident the market will come back, but I'm also wondering if this is a time for tax loss harvesting. Is there a formula to follow to see if it makes sense? Could you just really 
briefly explain what tax loss harvesting is. Sure. And um, there really isn't a formula for tax loss harvesting. In general, you harvest losses and investments to offset the capital gains that you have realized so far for that year. So it's up to you how much you want to offset. The key is to replace the stock you sold with a similar but different stock. So your asset allocation remains the same. For example, if you sold Coke, you might want to buy Pepsi sell McDonald's, you might want to buy Chipotle. So you're staying in the same sector. And I would suggest you don't wait till the end of the year when everybody else is thinking of doing the same thing. They just talked to their accountant. They need to offset some gains and then selling the same stocks that have underperformed that year. Think of it kind of as buying snow skis in the summer. You don't want to buy when everybody's buying them in the winter. You might get them off a little bit more on sale in the summer. Next up on Ask Annex is from James. How many funds are too many in a typical portfolio? I have 12. That seems high. Well, there's no fixed set of ideal number of funds an investor can hold in their portfolio. It depends on the investment objective and risk appetite for every investor. Every fund has its role in the portfolio. But as a rule of thumb, you should not have more than two funds with the same theme or market cap. For example, don't buy four large cap funds and four mid cap funds and four small cap funds. That's not diversification. Remember that you have to keep up to date on all the funds you own and you really need to know what they are investing in. Make sure you're keeping up to date on the fund manager. Portfolio managers leave all the time. Check the Morningstar ratings, one being the best, 99 being the worst. And also look at the expense ratios. And make sure that the fund is truly investing in its category. I've seen plenty of mutual funds claim that they're mid-cap funds, and the top holdings are large-cap, Microsoft, Google, Apple, Amazon. You think you own a mid-cap, in reality, you're really slanted towards large-cap. Ask Annex, got a question for us. You head to our website, look for the Ask tab. Next up is from Frank, which makes more sense during current conditions, I-bonds or TIPs? Well, that all depends on your personal objective and liquidity needs. Both are nice products to have during high inflation. They both protect principal and purchasing power. You can sell TIPs at any time you want, but you can't sell I-bonds for at least a year after purchase. TIPs can be bought for various terms, but I-bonds earn interest for 30 years. Next up is Anonymous. My father-in-law is urging me to park my investments in a fund of funds. Any opinion? Let's explain a fund of funds. Well, a fund of fund is a fund that owns a group of funds. It's a basket of funds. So, for example, the target date fund. A lot of people have that in their 401ks. So when they start working and they're going to retire in 20 years, they would invest in the target 42 fund. So, and that starts out aggressive and it gets less aggressive as you get close to retirement. So they're the ideal situation for the novice investor that doesn't have a lot of experience in investing. So they can achieve multiple investment goals through one single investment. However, they can have high fees and lack of transparency. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management on Ask Annex. Thank you. You're welcome. Folks, got a question for us? Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help with investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, click that Get Started button. Again, the website, AnnexWealth.com. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Deanne. Hey, Danny. While the vast majority of U.S. married couples have an age gap of under 10 years, a 
wider age gap, it's not uncommon, especially true in second marriages. A great investment and retirement planning partner like Annex is there to help. Deanne, a timing and claiming strategy for Social Security probably needs to be in place. Yeah, a lot of people have Social Security on their mind. And there are many ways to claim from a timing point of view. But, you know, one of the mistakes, I'm using air quotes here, that we as planners often see is that people don't plan ahead. They don't run the numbers. They don't think from a strategic, mathematical, and tax point of view. And what they'll do when they retire is just turn on all their sources of cash flows right away when they can. So they'll start Social Security early and their pensions right away. But there are considerations. Now, Social Security isn't taxed, actually, in and of itself. It's an add back to all income sources as part of modified adjusted gross income. And then anywhere from 0% to 85% of the actual Social Security benefit is taxed depending on your bracket. So if there's earned income in that year and the cash flow isn't needed, really what you're doing is turning on a little bit of an extra taxation issue, right? Um, so it might be smarter to have the higher earner wait to claim to increase that benefit for the other spouse if they're going to live longer too, right? They would then receive the maximum survivor's benefit if needed. Maybe then the younger spouse with less earning power, so less Social Security benefit, does claim earlier to get a little cash flow in. Just remember, there's a crossover in age where the math works if you wait to claim beyond 62, 65, or your full retirement age, as Social Security calls it. So that needs to be looked at as well. You know, Danny, this is all about math and the cash flow needed. And then you layer on that taxation. Now, each situation is different. So there's really no one answer as to when each spouse should claim. We have to look at it individually. You know what? And I got to apologize. I probably jumped ahead too much. I think probably one of the first things a couple with disparate ages, they need to decide when are they going to retire? Yeah. So some couples choose to coordinate. Some, though, you know, they want to have that what we call discordant retirement, where one partner dips the toe in the retirement waters first. And this can actually help a little with cash flow management, but not with the behavioral management or enjoyment factor as a couple sometimes. You know, we've seen some younger spouses bump up their retirement because they want to spend time with their older spouse, traveling and doing things while they both can comfortably enjoy them. But we've also seen some partners want to retire and have a year alone in retirement to enjoy some solo hobbies. It may well be a compromise is reached where the older spouse works a little longer, the younger spouse retires a little earlier than they might have originally planned. But coordinating does entail one or both easing out of work sometimes into part-time work or self-employment. Health care matters also. You read my mind. Health care is a big deal, especially somebody has already crossed 65. They're on Medicare, correct? Uh, yes, they can be potentially. But you know, if they're retiring, even if they're 65, they might jump on the younger spouses if they're still working oh, on yeah. their health care plan. Now, this is where you have to really pay attention because if you mess up Medicare, there can be penalties for life. So you have to go back and check with the resources of the group insurance for the spouse you're jumping on. Make sure that they have qualified over 20 employees. If they're a small firm, be sure you coordinate it because they may make you go on that Medicare. So there are some options but it takes coordination. 
We're with Dan Phillips discussing when there's a large age gap for married couple, what are the challenges a great planner can help with a retirement withdrawal strategy? And I know the thing that you want to shout from the rooftop is don't turn on all your sources at once. Absolutely. Look at the cash flows needed and the taxes. It's all about cash flowing and taxes and having your investments in different tax appropriate buckets. So that's part of the withdrawal strategy too. The challenge is to develop this you know, life's not linear. It might change. That's okay. Having that perfect storm of like the IRA assets. Remember, everything you pull out is taxed. The Roth, where nothing you pull out is taxed. And that traditional broker style, we call it a taxable investment account where there's some tax flexibility in there. Those create that trifecta of tax management too. So you need to think about all these things. A lot of moving pieces and I guess annuities, pensions, those are part of it. Yeah. You know, we had a couple where uh, we did the plan and he did not have a survivor benefit on his annuity and it was he was significantly older and we pointed that out that when he passed which was decades before his spouse that source of income would stop for her he's like well I guess I'll be gone so I don't care she kicked him (laughs) we moved on but the thing is we have a team at Annex that looks at annuities and pensions tries to look and say you know if there's a discordance in age like that should you pick a survivor benefit you know and what should that be and it's part mathematical and part, you know, a function of how long you think you're going to live too. Life insurance, estate planning. I mean, those are things that are really important and we've got teams in place for that. You know, it's important to take a look sometimes if there's a younger spouse, having that extra life insurance boost on the older spouse can make a lot of sense. We know that premiums, depending on the type of policy, can really go up the older we get. So that's why it's important to bring it to your planner and have them look. Long-term care planning. This is critical. On one hand, one could argue that the younger spouse could simply take care of the older spouse, but that's not always physically and feasibly appropriate. Care can be expensive, long-term care, but it doesn't have to be. There are lots of different hybrid products out there. There are life insurance products with long-term care or critical care carve-outs. So again, all this should be looked at and factored into holistic financial planning. One of the many situations we can help you with, Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, August 13th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Quick reminder, the show available on demand at the top of the hour in the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel. That's where you can find all of our podcasts. Derek Felsky's in the studio, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano is President and CEO. The old BBC show, Upstairs, Downstairs, and then there's what, Bear Case, Bull Case? Yeah, we can do Bull bull Case, Bear Case, but of course there was also the Saturday Night Live. uh, Don't go there. Don't don't even bring it up because (laughs) I'm not Jane in this one. But So, you know, there was a Bull Case a bear case argument that is certainly being thrown around and you can make points uh, legitimate thoughtful points on both sides that this might be a bear market rally or the beginning of a new bull market what side do you want to take um, I think I'll take the uh, bear case. All right, go for it. Well, I would say that this is simply a dead cat bounce. We're still below the 200-day moving average in the S&P and the NASDAQ. Yes, small caps have re- reaccomplished their, their mission of, of finishing above the 200-day, but it is declining. The chance of a Fed policy era is very large. We never know what Putin could do with gas prices during the winter as Ukrainians bomb inside Russia. Who's to know how he'll respond? Valuations are not nearly as attractive as they were in June. Earnings growth is slowing. Inflation is still at a very high level. And the Fed is tightening. All right. So 
that's a lot of stuff. And I could probably argue every one of those, and I'm not going to argue for it or against it. What I am going to say is the other side of the argument, and what we are hearing is that the stock market is pricing in peak inflation. In other words, we have seen the, the biggest advances in inflation already, and it doesn't mean inflation is going away, but maybe the rate of change has peaked out, and the stock market is trying to sniff that out. The second thing I'd like to point out is that the Fed has a chance of actually orchestrating a soft landing. In other words, that they can lower inflation and not cause a recession. And if that happens, then the market will feel better because it will be a shallow recession and not a deep recession. And the last thing is, and the point I always make, is if you look at earnings and you look at companies' report cards, did they increase their sales? No matter if you're the local flower shop or a publicly traded company, did you increase your sales Did you manage your expenses? And finally, what is the bottom line? What is the net income? Because that's the multiple we can put on, and that is really an important case. Well, they did increase their sales, but they increased their sales because they were were inflated sales. They did not increase unit sales. And that's my point, that the growth of the economy has been slowing. And we have had 13 years of extraordinary monetary accommodation, and I don't think you ring it out in four months. And so this is where we're going with this, folks, is there is arguments for both. And the way to handle this is is all of the tried and true portfolio management tools that you can use. And one of them, and the most important one, is how you have asset allocated. Where are you in your portfolio? Where are your bets, if you will? And can you start to move back in if you started to take some money out? Can you dollar cost average? And all of these tried and true portfolio tools continue to work, Danny. And these are the things that we talk about with prospective clients and clients on a daily basis. They'll bring in their mishmash of this statement, that statement, their 401k statements, their spouses. And we go through all of that and say, here is the plan. This is how we're going to work through this going forward. Dave, we work with people that are already retired, that have been out for a long, long time. We've got people right on the doorstep of retiring. We've got people in their 50s that are, you know, they've got maybe 10 years to go. We've got people that we're working with in our 40s who are looking ahead. Everybody's different. Every single case is different. That's how we treat you special, and we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. How's your investment plan? Is it tied together with your retirement planning? Are those two things being helped by tax planning? Lots of moving pieces. Once those things are together, how about the estate plan? Are you running around to a bunch of different providers to do that? We can help. Head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Know the difference. We say it often. It's one team, one plan, and one fee. I know we can help. We'll see you in a week. Thanks for listening, folks. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.